podcast this week, we talked to three of the 982 stars of Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. It's Adrian Brody, Jeffrey Wright, and Brian Cranston, all at the Cannes Film Festival. How nice. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that has been to the O2 in London many, many times, but has never, to our knowledge, been proposed to on stage by Hans Simmer. <laughs> How sad for us all. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. And this week, I'm in the studio once again. I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Helen O'Hara is in Glastonbury. She is headlining on Saturday night on the Pyramid stage. But nevertheless, don't worry, don't fret. James Dyer, a great big fucking nerd, is here. Well, most of them's here anyway. Jimbo, That's how's true. the finger coming? The finger is regenerating, much like Kurt Connor's The Lizard. <laughs> I am. I'm making a full comeback. I think you are. Yes. I, I'm much like spliced? David, I will be able to do the fingering next time you have a flute. Oh my word! Have you yeah. spliced your DNA with that of a of a lizard? What sort of lizard can can grow their limbs back? Can't they all do it? I think they it's, all it's do a pretty it. universal talent, isn't it? Or is it just geckos? I don't know. Find a lizard, chop off its tail, see what happens. Yes, do that. Do that at home. Would folks. it have, like would a T Rex grow its own tail back? I don't know. Maybe. Let's find mm. out. Let's find out. Okay, yeah. we need to build a time machine. <laughs> go back. Obviously, do the baby Hitler thing. Then we have to go back. <laughs> To dinosaur time, yes, which is the official, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, name not for the Cretaceous era yeah. or the Jurassic era or any of that stuff. Dinosaur time. Then we have to find a, di- a T Rex, no yeah. less. Chop, chop off its tail, tail and then and see what happens. Monitor the situation. Yeah, you guys have fun with that. Yeah, this is obviously what happened to their arms. They had massive arms, and someone chopped their arms and off. And they're for in a the lot. process of growing back. Yeah, mm. that's it. Uh, we were also joined. You just heard his voice. He is, of course, the forty seventh best dressed film journalist in. This room right now, it is Amon Woman. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I was a witness to Hans Zimmer's proposal that night. I that's why I you, I set him up. You knock him down, my friend. Uh, which was incredible. Uh, you and fifteen thousand of his closest friends. <laughs> yeah, uh, he was obviously putting on an amazing show, and then yeah, he likes to talk to his audience quite a bit. Uh, that must in- take ages. There's fucking loads of them. <laughs> yeah, no, one by one. He didn't shout me out, though, for some reason. I don't know why. I mean, was, I thought we had, like, a personal connection. A personal connection. Yeah, you did. met him that one time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Look, the pictures we took, people rightfully said it looks like we're best friends catching up because that was the vibe that I got yeah. from us. But, you know, wasn't singled out. Oh, that's, that's a shame. But a shame. Uh, he but was awesome in that moment. Tell awesome. the folks what happened. So this was... Just before his final encore, which was to play Time, he always ends his Pink shows. Pink Floyd, with, love that song. <laughs> he always ends his shows with Time from Inception. And oh. so before, uh, so if he played that, he brought his girlfriend on screens. Like this is the woman that I love. Apparently, she loves me too. There's something that I wanted to ask you: Did you leave the back door open? Did you turn the stove off? Were you Miami? Could the crowd go? Ah! And lots of applause. That was great. Oh, and where were you sitting? Were you sitting close enough for you to for you to go? Don't do it. <laughs> He's mine. I have photographic proof that we vibe like BFFs. Get your hands off him. Uh, I was sitting quite close. Right. Um, thankfully, uh, the noise was so loud that it drowned out uh, everything that it, I was saying. It was moment. so loud they couldn't hear you answering the question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do! <laughs> Rushing up on stage. Is there, a, is there a reverend in the house? Is there someone who can marry us? When my wedding does happen, I'll probably have Hans in a playing 
in the background. Interstellar. <laughs> Maybe not in that particular track, but there will be some hearts at my wedding, that is for sure. Anyway, uh, that's exciting. That's exciting. Well done, uh, Hans Zimmer and his uh, his lady friend, now fiancé. Very, very nice, yeah. yeah. And he went straight into the going for gold theme. <laughs> no, he went straight into time right after that. And uh, yeah, they played it together, at least the first bit of it. Uh, um, oh, so is his lady friend, now fiancé, is now, is she prodigiously gifted musically as well? Who is she? Who is she? Tell us more about <laughs> Mrs. Hans Zimmer. <laughs> Like I was so hurt uh, that I wasn't the one on stage. You don't know who I she is. Know, I, I didn't. I didn't even bother to doing the research. You it's, are a it's still, disgrace. It's still too soon for me, Chris. Okay? Well, I'm going to look it soon. up. I'm going to look it up. <laughs> Hans Zimmer, fiance, uh, Dina De Luca. She is an entrepreneur and New York hotel owner. So there you go. Hey, we're up for another war, aren't we? On Tuesday night, we get... We, we get, are, yes. Yeah. We're going to the, the... No, Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Wednesday night, yes. The PPAs. The Periodical the PPAs. Press Association. Yes. Where we will periodically win awards. Uh, but not this time. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. Because, Chris, Chris, last time you went, uh-huh. you and Helen went. And you yeah. lost. Because you're both, frankly, losers. Yes. This time... <laughs> I'm coming. You're coming. You're I'm the, coming. the awards magnet. That's is right. That's right. The, the rabbit's foot, I mean it in the Mission Impossible sense, of the Empire podcast. Uh, I will be there to uh-huh. bring luck and, and let's be honest, intimidation. Room, it's like Magneto. He yeah. walks into the room and all the I'm awards Magneto. are on stage. Yeah. They just begin to vibrate and yeah. then they just fly across That's the room exactly towards what's going to happen. So I'm going to go in there with my commanding presence. <laughs> mm-hmm. I shall do things like scream Dune incoherently. No, what presenter. you'll do is you'll storm the stage for every single award whether or not it's your category. I mean, what you are know. you up for? Are you up for anything? Uh, I mean, I don't mean in a sexual <laughs> sense. Well, Chris. Although, Wednesday night, all bets could be off. Oh, yes, I'm up for anything. Uh, well, I'm up for the same thing you are. We are up for the same award. I'm not up for anything in addition to... Oh, you're coming with me as my yes. plus one? Yes. No, oh, I we, see. We are going to... I see. How do you not know this? As my lackey. I am as going my with you. We are going together. You butler. are my date for the evening. I'm, I'm, if anything, you're my fucking date. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You are my date for the evening. We're going to go. We're going to win an award. It's going to be incredible. Helen's not going to be there. She will not be able to bask in our collective glory, but we will win. Is this, yes. So this means it's going to be one of like three times doing it that you guys are going to get dressed up? I'm you know, we haven't talked about what we're going to wear. I'm genuinely not sure I can fit into my suits anymore. So this is this is going to be... <laughs> You're not fitting into mine with me. <laughs> <laughs> Birthday suits. <laughs> I mean, that comes later. Uh, look, look, I'm I'm very happy to wear whatever costume you lay out for me. I'm on, whatever materials are available. That's the 47th best dressed person in this room right now. <laughs> yeah, what should we wear? You can you can, you can can style this. It'd be like a mon eye for this lobby guy. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Looking at you both, it's gonna it's gonna be a challenge, but I think I think we can come up with something. No, I uh, I I own several pieces of a suit, which I believe I can combine <laughs> yep. to to to. I'm gonna combine this. the Mark II and the Mark Forty Seven and see what happens. Exactly that, exactly that. Mine's it's all nanites with me, so uh, that's why I'm gonna turn up naked, and the suit will just sort of miraculously appear on <laughs> yes, command. Yes, officer. <laughs> but it's well, a nano was, suit. I swear, I don't know why it's not responding. Uh, it could, it could, it could work. That that could happen. <laughs> I don't um, know. I don't know. Is, is it a black tie? I'm not wearing black tie. I might. I might concede to wearing a suit. I would rather not. So if I can get away with wearing, frankly, jeans and a Dune T-shirt, Dune. that's what I'll do. Come, uh, come in and one those uh, fucking still suits. Still suits. Yeah. Still suit. Yeah. You said you, you said wear a suit. <laughs> yep. It's a suit. What is what is Sir drinking? His own piss. <laughs> <laughs> Why has your face gone red? Don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh boy! Oh, it's gonna be fun. Why would you give this podcast an award? <laughs> Why wouldn't you just? You just wouldn't. You just wouldn't, and you shouldn't. In fact. I didn't enter because I wanted us to win. I didn't enter the Pilot TV podcast for this award. This is guaranteed. You know, yes, I, I didn't want to. I you nobly want to, stepped aside. Exactly. I didn't want to steal the award. The award out from under us. So I, I, you know, I generously stepped aside uh, as pilot. <laughs> of course, you will be because uh, I believe Boyd and Kay are even now. This is why they're not here. They're diligently digging under the stage of the PPA. <laughs> Awards. It's going to be like the bad guys. Well, they, you'll just see the thing, and it'll be an award. And it'll say Empire. It'll just be scribbled out in Sharpie. And Pilot TV podcast written underneath it. Right. That's how we win. We have a question. Do we though? We do. It's the question we've been tackling for the last three weeks, okay. uh, which is basically which director won the eighties, the nineties, the noughties, and now the tens. Yes. The two thousand tens, not the nineteen tens. We're not that old. Um, and um, we're on the tens now. We're on the tens, and we we said we would do this, and then we would knock this on the head. We can't just dominate the question section with with this question. Uh, although some people have been asking recently, can you do this again, but with actors? <laughs> Where does it end? Where does it end? It Writers, ends. composers, key grips. Mm. Ooh, composers. Composers. Oh God, here he goes. <laughs> He's fast asleep in the corner. Yeah, I'm on some composers. Some composers, composers. Of, of having a one-track mind, but I, I, I you know, I no, reject that. You're a man of multitudes. He has a Thank four-track you. mind. If yeah. anything, <laughs> sometimes eight track. Yeah, on occasion. What's your favorite track? Three. I agree. Right. Five. Taylor Swift. <laughs> Barbarian Horde from Gladiator. Bar- Barbarian Aww. Sound Studio. Well. That's nice. That's nice. Uh, featuring Russell Crowe on vocals. Uh, Is that your favorite from that particular? That's my favourite track of all time. I should pull back the curtain here. I have I have a very, very, very heavy heavy time constraint and I came in here going, right, okay, 20 minutes for the listener question, 20 minutes for news, 20 minutes for reviews, we'll be fine. I think we're an hour and a half into this now and I've, yeah, anyway, go on, fucking have at it. I'm not going to win anything. (laughs) Barbarian Horde is my favourite track of all time. Unleash hell. Uh, How's that, that go? How's that go? Not the, the track which soundtracks that is called The Battle. Oh, sorry. Oh, a rookie, um, rookie soundtrack era. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so the Barbarian Horde comes when? This is the scene that precedes Maximus removing his mask and telling Commodus who oh, he is. Um, that's a good and scene. And also encompasses that's in the final sort of 90 seconds of Barbarian Horde are the aftermath of that, um, which is why it's my favorite track of all time because that is the first track that made me realize the power of film the music. The power of music. How does um, it go? Does it go? That's exactly how it goes, yes. You, you're just going to keep going, aren't you? Uh, oh, yeah. Do you want to know what my favorite track of all time is? Yes, I do. Oh, John Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, theme from Home Alone. <laughs> theme from Home Alone. No, it is Ben's Death and TIE Fighter Attack. Okay, it's my favorite from the first Star from the War. first Star Wars. It's it's it specifically it's the bit that transitions into the Tie Fighter fat attack. Mm. That's my favorite bit. The boom, 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 and then it goes mm. and it builds up. That I think that's fantastic. And when they turned Space Mountain into Hyperspace Mountain at mm. Disney, they retrofitted it so that you're in an X-wing fighting Tie Fighters, and that plays all the way through it. And I was like, <laughs> yes, all the way around the roller coaster. I fucking love it. It's such a wonderful piece of music. Mm. Uh, and that that same thing with me. Like that mm. was. Was the first bit I mean Star Wars is full of great music but mm. that particular bit when I was a kid I was like this like the music elevates that scene to a level that I didn't think was possible because I was four and all four year olds are fucking stupid uh, <laughs> but yeah incredible stuff yeah. incredible scenes John Williams the goat yeah. who knew <laughs> amazing he can compose all music despite being a goat 
It's just extraordinary. Uh, all right. Okay. Which director won the the, uh, the tens? I can dispense of this question very, very quickly to save you time. Is it James Cameron? No. Is it Quentin Tarantino? <laughs> but it is James Cameron. Uh, but it's not. No, actually it's not. It is Monsieur... Denis Villeneuve. Oh my and God. No, no, but seriously, and I can't obviously include Dune as part of this, Dune. so this is not a Dune <laughs> thing. Uh, this is specifically for me, Ensemble, uh, sure, but for me, the run of Prisoners, Enemy, but specifically Sicario, Arrival, and Blade Runner. I was like, yes, yes, mate, or oui, monsieur, whichever you prefer. <laughs> I'm on. The rules are very, very simple. Mm-hmm. has to be a director who's made at least... Ideally, at least two movies in the decade. Ideally, one in the first half of the decade, one in the second half of the decade. So you can't just come in, Johnny Come Lately, and make a great film in 2019, for example, and then just own the decade, right? Gotcha. Can't do that. Okay. So you have to have like a, a a fairly varied and consistent body of work. Okay. All right. My pick for this question is Vine Kugler. Um, Fruitvale Station, yep. Creed, Black yep. Panther is an incredible run of films. That is an incredible and run of films. the last two in particular, the way in which they impacted the culture, um, Black Panther especially, really stands out to me. That would be my pick. My Good. backup pick would probably be Damon Chazelle, uh, Whiplash, oh. La La Land, Whiplash especially. Yes. I just, the ending of that film is spectacular and obviously La La Land, um, I love that film too. Helen, in particular, would be on board with that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, oh, she, yeah she loved huge that. fan. <laughs> and, uh, loves it. I've, I've been listening to uh, I've been listening to Another Day of Sun a lot recently because of the weather, and it's still a banger. Uh, so yeah. Did you dance on top of a car roof <laughs> while listening to it? Uh, I have not done that yet, but give me some time. Okay, it's okay. a total, bang- it's a total mean, banger. Both those good shouts. Neither yep. a patch on Denis Villeneuve, but I'll, I'll put in, I'll put a reserve out of my back pocket here and say, obviously, we, we talked about him a little bit for the noughties, but Christopher Nolan comes into his own, obviously, a big in pardon. the tens, steady. Uh, <laughs> Inception. Boom! Inception. The Dark Knight Rises. Inception. Bang! Is Inception... 2010. 2010, yeah. Is it 2010? Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. So it counts. Inception, Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar! And Dunkirk. So, hey, know, Dunkirk is fine. a very, it's, very good film. It's In fact, fine. I think it might be the one of the four best films that you mentioned there. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's that's a pretty good run. Yeah. That's a pretty good run. Pretty, I mean, pretty good. good. Pretty good. I do love Inception. 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 Dark Knight Rises is my yes. least favourite of the trilogy. I'm not a big Interstellar and Dunkirk guy. Oh, but you must love your, your pal. Your good pal, Hans. <laughs> I love Booby. <laughs> Uh, Dunkirk is not my favourite Zimmer score although I do think Supermarine is a fantastic track uh, Interstellar the use of the organ is fantastic did that. I beg your pardon <laughs> <laughs> steady on uh, sometimes I just for a split second forget what podcast I'm on it's like yeah and then you remind me thank you um, <laughs> Interstellar it's the Empire podcast thank you thank you uh, I got that now it's in my head um, the instrumentation in Interstellar <laughs> 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 is but really it's, really it's clear because it's distinct yes. from Dunkirk Interstellar oh, yeah. <laughs> Dunkirk <laughs> so it's, is it, like I say it's, it's nuanced it's nuanced okay yeah. <laughs> yes um, these are all good these are all good yeah but the, good. the score for Inception is freaking fantastic yes, it is um, mm-hmm. so I'll so, yeah. alright well this is interesting because uh, none of the usual suspects have been have been named 
so far. Kaiser Kaiser Um because you know we've done this for the last three weeks uh, because we yeah. run out of ideas, quite frankly, and uh, a lot of the same names will be cropping up in the '80s and the '90s and the noughties. Mm. And now that's beginning to change. We talked about Chris Nolan last week, and yes, you can talk about Scorsese. You can talk about uh, that's a really weird way to pronounce his name, by the way. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever pronounced his name that way. Martin Scorsese. 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 Uh, you know, Steven Soderbergh is still a big player. Steven Spielberg, I believe, made some films of note in the tens. Uh, Quentin Tarantino obviously made uh, some films in the tens as well. But things are beginning to change. The tens is really mm. when the Marvel Cinematic Universe really started to come to the fore. Mm -hmm. So you could, I'm not saying you should, but I'm saying if you could throw in Joe and Anthony Russo mm. as directors who made four mm. of the greatest blockbusters of all time, of all time, <laughs> in a fucking row. It's hard to disagree. Yeah. It is hard to disagree. I didn't expect to... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do with myself now. <laughs> That's most unusual. Ryan yeah. Johnson, there's another one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is a good shout. That yeah. is a good shout. Also, Bong Joon-ho. Where? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> He's always sneaking up at me. Snowpiercer, yes. Parasite, yes. Okja. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, Greta Gerwig. Greta, Gr Greta Gerwig, Lady Bird, Little Women, in which Florence Pugh dies in a hail of bullets. 2019. Really? Yeah. You've done your research. Yeah. Well, because it was, I always remember because it was, uh, it came out with, uh, as we remember, with Rise of Skywalker, because famously oh, the story boy. about when, when it is Florence Pugh, I refuse to believe otherwise, dies in a hail of bullets. You heard Babu Freak <laughs> going, hey, hey, in the next, uh, in the ne the next theatre. Famously on Twitter. So, so that's yeah. how, I, how I tie those two films together for, oh, for all time. That's nice. The natural successor. What about, uh, what about Jordan Peele? We'll get out and... Look, it was just a suggestion. <laughs> Right into that one, um, and what was I mean, one? you made two films technically. Us. There you go. Yeah, that'll be a good. Shot. I mean, Get Out was an incredible, uh, probably still the best horror film that I've watched. One of the few horror films I've, I've <laughs> you're played. Such, you're <laughs> such a crazy cat. It's, it's so amazing. I mean, the fact that there's... you're missing. Honestly, you're missing some of the greatest movie scores of all time. Um, are in horror films. I just. I, this is the thing you don't ever watch horror films. I don't ever is not true, but... You know, if you yeah. listen to the scores without watching the film, it's not scary. Yes, I know, but like, I, I don't like doing that typically. Like, I, I honestly try to stay away from that because part of the reason that I love film scores is my connection to the films and I don't yeah, like to yeah, listen sure. to scores before I watch the film. No. If, you, if I heard Portals before I watched Portals, yeah. it wouldn't It doesn't have, have the emotional heft. Exactly. 100%. I get you. Um, but this is interesting because I don't know how I didn't know this about you but I didn't know this about you. Oh. Is it just because you don't like being, like you're a big scaredy cat is what I'm saying. Yes. Is that, that's it. Yeah. I didn't really grow up watching horror, like the world is scary. I mean, how do you think that. me and Chris turned out the way we did? We 100% <laughs> did do that uh, and it fucked us up for life. So, right. so like, in terms of like horrors, like so, Alien. Yeah, no, okay. I've gone back and watched a couple, like Alien. Um, I think know. like you do Alien, you do The Shining, you do The I Omen. Done, I haven't done The Shining. The Omen. The Omen. I no one's ever pronounced that. that Mark, Mark the Scott says he's the Omen. Yeah, The Omen. Five five five. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, Jaws, obviously horror. I've gone back and watched yeah. Jaws. Yeah. Good, yeah, I mean, good. <laughs> That's good. The Exorcist. No. Okay. okay. The Omens. The Omens. That's where uh, we're drawing the line. Oscar, one of the few horror movie scores. No one's pronounced the word horror like that either. Horror. What's going on? Horror? <laughs> it's a horror show. <laughs> 
people have often said about this podcast. Yeah. It is a horror show. You'll notice the theme. But it's when it's when Helen isn't here that this podcast degenerates into absolute carnage. Yes. <laughs> Venom, let there be carnage. Oh, gosh. Um, anyway, um, yes. Uh, it's it's one of the few horror movie horror. scores to win an Oscar. <laughs> and it's amazing. Ave and Satani by Jerry Goldsmith. It's so fucking good. It, it's so scary. And he did the score as well for Damien Omen 2. And that score in particular, I have on my phone. And I regard it as some sort of cursed object. Whenever it comes on, if I'm walking along, just shuffling uh, soundtracks. And that comes on, I go, nope, skip. <laughs> Can't do it. No, thank you. See, that in and of itself is interesting because my favorite type of scores are the ones which work well in the film, but also... I can listen back to yeah. and have fun with. I don't find that's the case with most horror scores. Michael mm. Abel's with Jordan Peele is an mm-hmm. exception. There's a couple of, like my favorite track of last year was Nope by Michael Abel's, um, which was spectacular. It's a fantastic score. And I love his score for Get Out as well and Us. Really three good scores. But in t- typical, typically with horror, horror films, the scores work perfectly for scares in the film. But they're very, they're not very tuneful. Sometimes they used to accentuate jump scares. Sometimes they're about building atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So yep. Horner's Alien score, though Aliens is in the pure horror film. But mm-hmm. look at Goldsmith's Alien score. And that is just dripping with dread and dripping atmosphere. Dripping with dread. Dripping with dread. And dripping. it works in isolation, 100%. That is a great piece. It is. Great score, it man. is. Uh, other great horror film scores. I mean, if you want to look up Carpenter. The, uh, well, yeah, Carpenter's John Carpenter, great. obviously. Yeah. Uh, take your pick. Take your hammer and chisel. Uh, whatever you want to do. Uh, Goblin are great. Uh, and there's the the score for George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead is really atypical as mm. well. There's uh, it's got some absolutely banging numbers in there. A lot of library <laughs> music. Yeah, this is good stuff though because stuff. I've been trying to um, broaden your horizons. Broaden my horizons. Your event yes. horizons. <laughs> your event horizons. Um, do you see? Do, do you, you listen? See? But you haven't. That's the problem. You haven't seen. <laughs> I have not. And where you're going, you do need eyes to see because otherwise you'll only be hearing the film. <laughs> and but ears I'm, to hear. <laughs> I'm doing a daily sort of Twitter thread, uh, one film, TV, or game track a day, and I'm looking for new stuff to add to it uh, as as we continue. Wow. So, so yeah, I'm gonna there you go, go. And investigate I, some I of these. We have suggested some. We have yeah. broadened we should, Amon's horizon. We should playlist uh, like a like a horror a horror calendar for Amon, mm. not to traumatize him. And I think this is this <laughs> important, like because I do. I mean, as someone who I'm quite sensitive to some horror stuff, I don't do well with nasty horror, scary. Mm. Yes, chills. Yes, I don't do well with nasty horror. This is why so, Terry so is I, just yeah. So so I, I so I don't again. think we want to give you stuff that would upset you because I don't believe in that. But I reckon there's a good sort of menu of stuff that might ease you into the genre and make you sort of more comfortable with it without you know scarring you for life. That would be nice. All right. Okay. All right, let's do it. A couple more names real quick because we are still technically in the question oh, section of the show uh, <laughs> because you know again the landscape changed quite a lot. I'm going to throw in Gareth Evans. Gareth Evans is someone who I think owned uh, quite or won quite a bit of the the tens, um, mainly because of the Raid and the Raid Two, mm. two of the greatest action movies of all time. If yep. you're speaking of greatest action movies of all time, then that brings Christopher McQuarrie into the conversation as well, for he made Rogue Nation and Fallout and Jack Reacher in the same decade. That's uh, also, which is pretty damned impressive, and it also brings into conversation the one, the only Doctor. George Miller, 
uh, mm. and who made two films in the tens. One was Happy Feet 2, and a, <laughs> frankly, an abomination of a movie. The other one is Mad Max Fury Road. I mean, you can the see what he was doing thematically. Of a demented genius, yes. So I think um, I think it's going to be one of those people that we mentioned. We should probably throw in Barry Jenkins as well. Um, yes. Did win the Oscar for Moonlight after a fashion. And, <laughs> and Technically, if, yes, he did. Yeah. And if Bill Street could talk as well, that's fantastic. Well, listen, that is a fine parade of names with uh, a couple of occasional diversions to actually answer the question there, which, which I appreciate. Which I answered with the first answer, so that was good. You did not. I Danny did. Fielder, no, it is 100% no, Denis Villeneuve. No, 100% Denis Villeneuve. No, and you no, know it's true. No. You know it's true. I know it don't. I don't Sicario know was the film of 2015. Arrival was the film of 2016. It would, and Blade no, no, Runner no. was the film of 2049. No, no, no. It was, it was, it was our film, yes. No, but as in those were our official Empire films of the year, three years running. Denis, Denis, Denis. A Denis Triple Denny, Denny. That's right. Yeah. If you want to have your question read out on the Empire <laughs> Podcast. If you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, you can get in touch with us. Uh, now, questions are open again. We're opening our doors to questions. Uh, I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. You can slide into my DMs. You can reply to a panicked shout-out every now and again. Or you can just reply to any of my tweets once you've stopped laughing, of course. Movie news. <laughs> What's been happening in the world of movie news? Chris, can I just check one thing with you? What year is it? What year? Who's the president? <laughs> uh, let me just check. Hey, Siri. What year is it? Uh-huh. <laughs> what year is it? One moment. Oh, for God's sake. One moment, Chris. I'm going to check on no, the year. Don't just bring it up on screen. Just tell... Oh, for fuck's sake. It's 2023. Do you think the makers of Craven the Hunter realised that? <laughs> oh, I see. This was a bit. This was, was a, a bit, bit all very, along. Very clever setup. <laughs> I see what you did there. So you're doing a call. Hi, hi. The 90s called. They want their movie back. It's just, I, it's so dated. JC yeah, yeah, Jandor is making a late play to own the noughties <laughs> by releasing a film in 2023. But isn't this kind of in keeping with the whole spunk you know, process. Like, they do seem to be specialising in throwback 90s comic book movies. That's yeah. what they do. So, uh, yeah. You know, this, 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 I mean, we've not quite gone long Morbius here, but we're not a fucking million miles away. Um, I'd rather watch this than Morbius. This looks like the same film as Morbius. A little bit, a little Wait, bit. I, but I must say, I didn't mind Morbius. I, I, what? I know. Controversial I know. opinions ahoy. I know. I know. When I say when I say I didn't mind it, I still like it's a high two, but is it? Yeah, but <laughs> it's, a it's not a one. It's, it's not a one. A You're a one. <laughs> uh, this looks more entertaining than Mobius. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm, does I'm, it? Does <laughs> it? Should we explain what it is for the people at home who are still somehow listening to this? It's a Spider-Man villain reinvented as an anti-hero. It's, yeah. it's got spunk everywhere. Yeah. Why uh, are we still doing villains aren't made or villains aren't born? They're made in 2023. Like, come here, these come up with a better line than that. Come on. So this is uh, Craven the Hunter. So if anyone knows yes. her Spider-Man lore, Craven mm. uh, the Hunter is one of the great Spider-Man villains, one yep. of the the um, the anchors of one of the greatest Spider-Man arcs, Craven's Last Hunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is a man, a big game hunter. If I'm right in thinking him on, he's not he's not enhanced in any way. He's like, he's basically he's. I don't think he has superpowers in the, in the film. In, he the, is. in the comics, but in the film, he is because a lion bleeds on him. <laughs> a which lion, apparently, yeah. is how he gets his superpowers. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Do not try this at home, folks. <laughs> Absolutely not. So, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Okay, 
in different versions of Spider-Man media, he can he, have. He, he is um, because like in the, an infinite multiverse, anything is possible. <laughs> indeed, the Craven that I grew up with was the Craven in the '90s animated Spider-Man show, and in that, he was a big game hunter and he was fierce. But then he comes up against Spider-Man, gets his ass whooped, and he then enhances himself so that he can be on Spider-Man's level. Do you yes. want to know the first time I encountered that character? It was in an issue of What The, where Spider-Ham goes up against <laughs> Raven the Hunter. Oh, wow. Yeah, Absolutely true. And he he has this wonderful costume. He's kind of, kind of this, this weird rough thing going on. He looks very, very cool. And he basically, he comes to town with a few days to kill, like the Predator in Predator 2. <laughs> and, uh, and he decides to try and go up against the biggest game he can find, which is a teenager from Queens, <laughs> as, as it turns out. Uh, so so he has he has a popper trying to kill Spider-Man. And uh he, you know, he's a he's a big, big Spidey villain that they never quite got round to in the uh, in the good films. And uh, but here he's listen, I'm a little sad about this trailer, I'll be honest with you. Why? Because he's played by Aaron Taylor Johnson, who I like, and apparently yes. whose whose performance in this movie may have actually put him and Bullet Train may have put him to the front or front-ish of the queue for Bond. Mm. Um, and, you know, you can see he's bringing it in this. He's bringing it physically for sure. Uh, and it's also directed by J.C. Chandor, who is a director I, J.C. adore because he directed Margin Call. He directed mm. All Is Lost. He directed Triple Frontier. He directed, you know, he's a really, really good, solid director who is clearly, you know, this is very much a one for them situation I'm guessing <laughs> but I would have thought that he might have brought something of himself to this but I find no Chasey Jandor in the DNA of this trailer which is frankly pretty lamentable and yes Aaron Taylor Johnson who isn't Russian in this movie again for reasons uh, has daddy issues in the shape of Russell Crowe as the Pope's exorcist um, reprising <laughs> his role <laughs> He's, yeah, he's mo- Russell Crowe is like he's like a he's like a giant storm formation slowly moving his way across southern Europe. <laughs> he's, he's ticked off Greece. He's ticked off Italy. Watch out, Spain! Here comes Russell Crowe. Oh no! I have to say, he did do a magnificent tweet earlier today. Um, there's a tweet which basically says Russell Crowe, father of Superman. Hercules, <laughs> I'm Craven the Hunter. So Russell Crowe he quote quote tweets this and says. Fertile across time and space. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. If you need Spump, Russell Crowe yeah. is the man to ask. Across so time and space. He has finally come. Um, so to the Spump universe, yes. which is no longer called that, sadly. Sony, yeah, what's so, so the Sony Pictures universe of, of Marvel, Marvel characters. characters. And now it's just called Shrug. Yeah, they I kind of I feel someone needs to stage an intervention. <laughs> but you say that. You 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 say that. But there's a very niche. <laughs> <laughs> so niche that you and I are the only people alive who will understand it. But yes. Uh, but you say that, and yet this is still the same team that is kind of they're there whenever the Spider Verse movies are made. They're they're in they're in the room. They're they're in the building. They're, they're in the same postcode. They're in the same. Yeah. You know, they're staying at the same hotel. I don't. I you know I know that there are probably be different creative driving forces on those movies. You know, but there are people. Just whoever, whoever convinced these, all these people films. that these films would work without Spider-Man, despite multiple allusions to Spider-Man in all of these films, was wrong. Anyway, Craven the Hunter looks good, yeah. doesn't it? Other trailers. Yeah. There have been other trailers. There have been many other trailers, actually. Who wants to start with what? Go on, Amon. There was uh, one you liked. Tell us about the one you liked. <laughs> there is a trailer for Challengers, uh, Luca Guadagnino's 
new film starring Zendaya, uh, who is in the middle of a love triangle with... Uh-oh. Uh, with... Josh O'Connor. Yeah. And, and Mike Faced. Faced. Of West Side Story fame. They want to take his face off. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought this looks really, really good. Uh, Zendaya is just an actor that I will always be interested in seeing on screen. She's so dynamic. And the chemistry between all three of them looks very interesting. Looks pretty sexy. What's and, it about? Oh, uh, my word. What's it about? It's, well, it's the sequel to Wimbledon, as discussed. <laughs> Um, uh, so Zendaya stars as Tashi Duncan, who is a former tennis prodigy turned coach and a force of nature who makes no apologies for a game on and off the court. You've just read that out. No, I just came up with it at the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she is married to a champion on a losing streak. That's Mike Faced. And uh, her strategy is for her husband's redemption. Okay, I'm reading this up. Um, <laughs> no shit. <laughs> Tashi's strategies for her husband's redemption takes a surprising turn when he must face off against the washed-up Patrick, that's Josh O'Connor, uh, her former, or his former best friend, and Tashi's former boyfriend. What? Uh, well, well, but obviously, in a slightly more complicated, thruply, threesome kind of <laughs> three-love, if you will, and if that's how tennis was scored, which it isn't, even I know that. This should be called uh, Call Me By Your Game. Oh, it, it, right? it should, it should. Am I right? 15 love would make no sense, because that's, yeah. you know, a slightly more complicated relationship. <laughs> oh, my word. Mm. But yeah. It looks good. Um, and I thought the trailer was very well put together. Advantage, Zendaya. <laughs> Advantage, Luca Guadagnino. I've run out of all tennis terminology that I know. Have you ever been to actual Wimbledon? Yes. Fuck no. <laughs> I can I... get strawberries at my local Tesco. <laughs> <laughs> I went I went a couple of years ago. I took advantage of the... the um, advantage. advantage one. I took advantage... <laughs> yes, advantage you it. Uh, I, I was going to say I took advantage of the pandemic, but that's, that makes me sound like a terrible, terrible human being. Yeah, but, but you are a terrible human being. I am a terrible human being. That's fine. But uh, because of because of all the poshos, they 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 changed the way that they they sold tickets. So usually all the poshos get them because they're super expensive. And uh, but this time they opened them to dickheads like me. So I managed to get a, a centre court seat, nice. and I went along and I watched old Rog. I watched Roger Federer. I watched uh, Coco Golf. I watched someone else. So and it was a fantastic day. I had a really great time. Awesome. Am I wearing a Wimbledon cap right now? You are. You are. There we go. Is that why you asked? Was it? I bought this at Wimbledon. Because I was going to go, your powers of observation are legendary among I thought you were just a huge fan of the Richard Longcrane film. That was my just assumption. I mean, who isn't? Yeah. 2004, Richard Longcrane won the noughties just by making Wimbledon. Do you know, the only live sporting event I have ever paid for a ticket for, ever bought a ticket for. Remember, Dogging is not technically a live sporting event. It's competitive, Chris, and I'll stand by that. Uh, Just no. because you finish first doesn't mean... I uh, Genuinely, I bought tickets to the UK Rampage. <laughs> Again, dogging does not count. In which the Ultimate Warrior faced off against The Undertaker in their first bout against Again, each other. Again, yeah. dogging does not count. You can't just make up stuff. Ultimate Warrior, yeah. Undertaker. Yeah, the very first UK Rampage. I wow. In the front row, as it happens. Wow. That's amazing. Absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell there's no movie news? <laughs> uh, I didn't. I, I thought this trailer looked okay. I thought it looked fine. It looks alright. It looks challenging. Ah, I'm not so sure it did. It looks a bit glossy. But then again, so did Call Me By Your Name. I guess uh, Call Me By Your Name. Um, no one's call pronounced me, it that call way. Me. Call me. Call me. Call uh, me. But yeah, I don't. I don't know. Is that your favourite track? 
me singing Call Me By Your Name? No. No. No, it's not. Uh, there is a couple of other things. Um, there's, uh, Amon just pointed out, off mic, that uh, we might want to talk about the box office, the state of the box office in, in the States, uh, with The Flash and Elemental both, I, I guess, essentially flopping uh, last weekend. Although I would quite like to flop to a $30 million opening weekend if anyone <laughs> wanted to do that for me. I, I'd be quite happy with that. Or a $60 million opening weekend. I'd be, I'd be like, yes, please. Thank you very much indeed. But apparently it's different for a movie. Uh, anyway, a movie that's almost certainly not going to open to $60 million, but may indeed be garlanded with awards. My God, my segue game is on point today. <laughs> is Sofia Coppola's Priscilla, which mm. is uh, not the queen of the desert, uh, but indeed the queen of rock and roll, I guess, if you could call her that, because Priscilla Presley was married to Elvis Presley. What a coincidence, they had the same surname. And <laughs> uh, last year, of course, we had Baz Luhrmann's Elvis and I very much enjoyed it, even though it was batshit insane and bore very little resemblance to the actual story. But it was all good, and Austin Butler was tremendous. And now we have basically the same story, but obviously from Priscilla Presley's point of view. And Priscilla Presley in this movie will be played by Kaylee Spaney. And Elvis in this is played by... I, I really, really hope that we've written it in this new story. Jacob Elordi from Euphoria. So Jacob Lordy. So the trailer looked very, very good. And obviously um, there was a, a fair amount of controversy about Priscilla and Elvis's relationship because of her, her age whenever they first met. And I imagine this film isn't going to show away from it in the way that the Baz Luhrmann film comedy look, look over there! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Happy! Yeah. And, then, and then they were happily married yeah. and nothing bad ever happened again apart from all the terrible things. That's part of the reason why I'm interested to see it because even though I had a decent time with Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, they really didn't focus on Priscilla much if at all and so yeah it'd be good to see what I'm guessing the story will dovetail with certain events that Elvis may have depicted but from a different perspective that could be interesting uh, let's talk about the box office shall we box, box office, office box yeah office. so The Flash didn't uh, and then Elemental posted Pixar's worst ever box office receipts and people are going the sky is falling the sky is falling uh, I'd say it's not so much sky as it is Disney Plus but sure yeah it feels well okay let's take Elemental first of all yeah. and then we'll move on to The Flash sure uh, you know because some people are wondering if this is symptomatic of a, a larger malaise at the box office mm. I don't know I suspect that Mission's going to do really, really well when it opens in a couple yes, of weeks. I agree. Mm-hmm. Transformers uh, has just done really well. Transformers has done well it and then do, tailed off pretty heavily. Didn't do so. well, wasn't it? Tracking for something like four hundred and fifty. It's yeah. So a lot of these films. I wonder if the paradigm is shifting, right? Uh, so as was Balance pointed out this week. Fast the X is already out yes. on digital last weekend. I really hate that. Uh, Whenever Transformers Rise of the Beasts and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse came out, very, very quickly they announced when they're going to be out in digital, which is in the middle of fucking July, which is just insane. Uh These really, really short windows, which are, I think, re-educating people about how to see films. Mm. And they're basically learning, you know what, we don't need to go to the cinema unless it's a really... That's exactly what's happening. And I think it's more more acute for kids' films, like Pixar films, like Mm. Elemental, because people are like... Because think about this. First of all, you're probably taking more people to go and see it, so it's going to be much more expensive with Mm -hmm. kids. And also, kids are fucking stupid. They don't care if they see it on the cinema screen or the living room. They're not that biggie. And I feel like if you're reasonably confident, as you can be, that Elemental will be on Disney Plus in like four weeks' time... 
why wouldn't you wait and see it for free? And I just think that's, it's it's a bad thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I think for stuff like Fast X, I was shocked when Fast X dropped on sort of streaming. Mm-hmm. Really was. I was like, it genuinely felt like it just got released. Mm-hmm. And I just think you are conditioning audiences at this point that the windows are now so short, you are taking away, you're, you're essentially cutting cinema's legs out from under them. You are taking away that need to go and experience this thing. And I think unless you are making a film like Dune or or Mission, which, or, you know, Top Gun Maverick, whatever you take your pick, that has to be seen on the big screen, I think increasingly you are, you are educating people, you're teaching them that they don't need to go to the cinema. And that feels like suicide. It does. I was going to say more people should have learned more lessons from what they did with Top Gun Maverick which was to give it an extended yep. sort of you know, Avatar 2 cinemas mm-hmm. Avatar 2 didn't come out on yep. Disney Plus for at least six months yeah and also bear in mind we say that oh like a whole six months it was only six months that's mm-hmm. still not a long window you go back to the 90s and you're talking massive windows between theatrical and home ends yep mm-hmm. so even six months feel short with Elemental I, I really liked the film, but I did come out of it thinking, I liked it. I'm not sure if kids are going to really vibe with that. Could that be a factor in the box office, you think? Little Drinking Game actually really enjoyed it. You know, she she actually appreciated the, the love story and was, was oh, caught up good. in it. Um, but yeah, I do, I do wonder about it. The thing about it is it looks, and when you read out the synopsis of it, it feels like it's almost self-parodic at this point. It feels like it's almost a Pixar parody. Then you see the film and it's actually got a lot more nuance, a yes. lot more going on. It's a beautiful looking movie. But it does feel, it did feel inessential, but I just think it's, it, it's been a tremendous own goal from Disney putting uh, defaluing the Pixar brand essentially by putting all these great movies Soul, Luca, Turning Red putting them on to Disney Plus educating people that don't worry folks it's going to be along any second now on Disney Plus and then you know Lightyear didn't do well last year wasn't a great film but probably any normal year would have done way more money at the box office and now this so is it any wonder then we have a preponderance of sequels and prequels and spin-offs coming our way like yeah. we have we have there is i think one original film scheduled uh next next year uh next year but be, after that there's an inside out sequel there you know Pete Doctor was saying this week that nothing is off the table there's a toy story 5 as we know Ugh. there's there's all kinds of things that are that are up in the air. But he also made a very, very good point, which was that yes, there's a rush to sequelize and there's a rush to prequelize, there's a rush to do spin-offs, but you're spinning off sequelizing and prequelizing things that were once original. So you should invest in the original stuff. But then the worry is that now something like Elemental will fall through the cracks. Mm. It's really, really sad. And it has a potential existential knock-on effect as well. You know, cinema chains beginning to close. We know that there's bankruptcy threats looming large. And it feels like there's a, a major paradigm shift coming in terms of entertainment, like, you know, you, you know, uh, cinema chains cannot live on Avatar and Top Gun Maverick and, you know, the MCU isn't the billion dollar guarantee it once was either. No. And so, interesting, potentially dark times ahead. The Flash, uh, the Flash's quote-unquote failure at the box office because, you know, certainly a movie like that, they'll be looking for it to make 500 million minimum and it's not going to get anywhere close to that uh, now now you could chalk it up to a, a number of reasons we we said in last week's review as we were reviewing it some people will want to steer clear of this movie because of how they feel about Ezra Miller mm-hmm. 
it, I feel like that certainly did happen. A lot of people probably did give it a swerve because of that. But I think there were other factors. Yeah, going it into feels as well. inessential because mm-hmm. it's it's the sort of like coda to a thing that no longer exists and it will not really go anywhere and it doesn't feel like you need to see it. So, I, yeah, I can understand. And people have been burned by the DCEU before. Uh, there are a lot of reasons why people might not watch it even though critics liked it. Mm-hmm. Amon, what do you, what's your take on it all? I definitely think the Ezra Miller factor played a role here. Um, not just because of the complications they are going through and how that would have um, sort of affect the average viewer wanting to check it out, but the lack of them being in front of cameras promoting the film. There's a reason why studios sink all that money into that. You got the person on the poster, they're not really out there doing anything. They're not on people's YouTube feeds. There's a certain sense of like, I, on the one hand, I'm sad for people like Sasha Kelly, who's making their debut, debut as Supergirl. I think she's really good in the role, even though she doesn't have much to do. But there are a lot of people who have worked on The Flash who deserve to have their work seen. I had a decent time with the movie. But when you think about what's going on at Warner Brothers and the decisions that they have made to, to lead to this moment... I am not. I I haven't forgotten about the way they treated Batgirl. Not not only did they cancel Batgirl, but it felt like they, they deleted Batgirl. They erased they, Batgirl from not, existence. It's not that, and also it felt like they took every opportunity to crap all over it. Mm-hmm. They insulted the filmmakers. They disrespected the talent. At, every turn, they how many times did I hear this film? You know, is so bad it would damage the brand. There's a certain sense, I mean, call it karma, call it poetic justice to a degree, but I have been thinking about that a lot, given all the Flash box office, box office numbers I've been seeing. And when I read that the money that the Flash could stand to lose might be more money than what was saved by erasing Batgirl, it just makes me think about all, all the stuff that was said to have led to this moment. One interesting thing that was announced last week, um, and it does... It was interesting that this was announced, I think, before The Flash opened, which is uh, Andy Muschietti, who is the director of The Flash. Uh, it has been announced as the director of Batman Brave and the Bold, mm. which is one of the new DCU films that James Gunn and Peter Safran will be spearheading. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's just directed a film with at least two Batman in it. Uh, and clearly James Gunn and Peter Safran think he's going to be on safe hands. The Bat. Uh, or a version of the bat. So I think that's interesting. So that you know, I I, I don't see that being rescinded somehow. I think that's gonna that's gonna stick. Yeah. So maybe but, they knew it wasn't gonna do well. Who knows? I will say, you know, as you know, I have very strict standards for how Batman should act on screen and kill them kill, all, kill kill everyone. <laughs> the opposite of that. Do and your I'm jobs. Pleased to say that. Bring me people to kill. That's. <laughs> Do your fucking jobs. I am pleased to say that The Flash passes Amon Warmer's Batman test. So, congratulations to Andy. Thank you. What? <laughs> Does it? Yes. Are you counting Kryptonians as people? It's, it's aliens. It's the end of the world. Oh, you're such a racist. <laughs> Look, I've checked the Batman bylaws and... <laughs> It's okay to kill aliens. <laughs> wow, Batman officially cancelled. I mean, oh, yeah. he doesn't actually kill any aliens in the... Uh, no, actually, uh, aren't, you sh- aren't you sure? Are you sure 
that when they're escaping from that big silo in Russia, because, uh-huh. no, spoiler alert, I mean, <laughs> clearly four people watched it last week. So the four people who've seen The Flash can listen to this. Everyone else stop listening to it. Yeah. Uh, when they're escaping from that silo mm-hmm. with Supergirl, yeah. like she kills a fuckload of people. Yeah, Supergirl kills people. But you don't have a problem with that, do you, Mr. Hypocrisy, Mr. Double Standards? <laughs> Look, I'm I'm talking about Batman here. One, oh, okay. <laughs> Two, this you know it's a different universe. Supergirl, she's been through some stuff. I can understand why she's acting the way she's acting. <laughs> Batman's been through wow. some stuff. If you want to, if you want to have a being through some stuff competition, <laughs> I think we side with a billionaire. Oh, hang on, <laughs> maybe we don't. No, because you know Supergirl, she hasn't sort of had the upbringing that you know a Clark Kent Superman would have had to instill the values in her that would prevent her from doing some of the decisions that she does and so, so on that degree I, I get it you know she's just been freed after a lot of time in captivity she's, she's efficient she's, she's practical she's she gets to the point <laughs> team Supergirl <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about um, the consultant do you want to talk about the brouhaha over the secret invasion opening credits? Oh, yeah, we probably should. I think we should talk about that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. So there was a contretemps and a brouhaha over mm-hmm. the opening credits of Secret Invasion, the new Disney, oh, Plus, yes. new Disney Plus show. We talked about this a little bit. We did. Uh, we decried I it. I found out about it live on our you Spoiler did. Special podcast. You did. Uh, we talked about it on our Spoiler Specials, which uh, you can subscribe to, of course. two ninety nine a month, thirty two ninety nine a year, and you get all the Spoiler Specials. It's all really, really great. Anyway, plug over. And uh, we talked about it on that, but let's talk about it here. So the opening credits of the new Disney Plus show, Secret Invasion, were generated by uh, AI with admittedly some human interaction as well, prompts. I'd love to see the prompts. Dear ChatGPT, make us a title sequence for this. That looks like dog shit. (laughs) Make it better. No, please, make it better. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'd be interested to uh, read the transcript of that uh, that exchange. Yes, so director Ali Salim confirmed to Polygon, it said here, that the opening credits were generated by artificial intelligence designed by Method Studios. He says that he thought the idea of using AI for the opening credits fit into the theme of the show, which is all about scrolls and shape-shifting and what's real and what's not, what's human and what's not. Yeah, I get that to an extent, but <laughs> pay an artist for the love of God. This please. feels so horribly misjudged. Yes. Like, it just feels so... I mean, if they'd done it and just not told anyone on the sly, I mean, that would be bad too. But the fact that they've come yeah. out and said, oh, it's a virtue, we've done it like... I mean, how did they not see this coming? that everyone has reacted so negatively to it. It has been, they've been absolutely hauled over yeah, the coals. it's been a bloodbath, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and especially with everything that's going on at the moment, and I know it's not specifically about music, but with the writers on strike, with the actors going on strike, with the directors possibly striking, and AI being the heart of a lot of that, it's mm. like, read the fucking room. I mean, Jesus. I mean, I tweeted this, but Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is just a walking example of these are artists who are passionate about their craft. Look at the beautiful work that they can create. More so than any other film I've really ever watched, especially animated, I've really enjoyed seeing people who worked on the film mm. post-work in the film. I've seen that on Twitter for like the last like two, three weeks. People keep retweeting, keep resharing. I, I know many of the artists' names now who have worked on this film and it's great to, that they've been giving this platform to, to showcase their work. 
why are we <laughs> compare that to what's going on with this? It's like, stop trying to save money <laughs> with this AI thing and just pay an artist to well, give us some beautiful To art. be fair, none of those artists have given us the Pope in a puffer coat. So, you know, <laughs> swings and roundabouts. So, yeah, no, I, I didn't like it at all. And as you say, it does not look very good. No, it doesn't it look doesn't. good. It, it does look not look good. good. Uh, <laughs> I, I wonder if episode three will be accompanied by a completely different <laughs> title sequence as I they would, walk the entire thing back. It genuinely wouldn't shock me. I would not be shocked at all. Yeah. The idea was always that the <laughs> title sequence would become more human as, yeah. as time went on. Yeah. Yes, I think the, uh, it's very disappointing. I have to say, very, I'm, I'm very disappointed in you, Marvel. <laughs> very disappointed in you, and that'll, that'll, those words will sting them mm. to hear that from me, uh, <laughs> the chief drinker of ooze. Yeah. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna hate that. Um, they're gonna especially hate when I, when I when I say that I'm pretty sure the first episode was written by AI <laughs> as well. Oh dear, would it hurt you to have some drama and intrigue in your <laughs> intriguing drama show? <laughs> anyway, shall we have a guest? Shall we have a guest? Why yes, not? Enough of the movie news. Let's have a guest. Uh, let us go straight into... Well, we've already got one. Uh, three guests, one slot, as we discussed earlier on. Uh, Asteroid City is Wes Anderson's new film. He's done it again, folks. And uh, it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival last month. And we sent John Nugent to Cannes. And he talked to a whole bunch of people. And uh, three of the people that he talked to were Jeffrey Wright, Brian Cranston, and Adrian Brody who star in this movie. Uh, Jeffrey Wright is uh, an army man. <laughs> Adrian Brody is a theatre director man. And Brian Cranston is a narrator man. So here they are, in Cannes, talking to John Nugent. Do please enjoy. Thrilled to welcome to the Empire podcast, uh, Adrian Brody, Brian Cranston and Jeffrey Wright. How, how are you all? Good, Very right? good, thank yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Nice to see you. Um, we, are, we are talking in Cannes. Uh, have you guys just got here? Are you, um, are you new to the festival? I am new to the festival. Yeah. Um, I've been to Cannes before, but not with a film. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, my first time as well had films here, uh, yeah. but I've, uh, my first time uh, being here to present with, and I just got here yesterday, yesterday okay. morning. So I'm, I'm here in but, body, but not <laughs> entirely. Biologically. Yeah. That's a previous inner thing. Yeah. Okay. And what about you? I, I love Can, and yeah. I've, uh, I've had several very meaningful experiences here, and I've I've been here with films and without, and I, I love the festival, and yeah. just I, I think it's uh, it's very special. It's very special to be here. Yeah. yeah. What's what's your like festival approach? Because it can be quite an intense experience, right? Do you get a chance to sort of soak it up and? See some films? It or? depends on the, for me, I mean, it depends on what's the curriculum, you know? Yeah. If, I, if I have, uh, I just came off of shooting a film and I'm, I'm pretty shattered and yeah. I'm here to support this film and yeah. I'm, I'm really grateful to be here. Um, but I don't have much time or space to, to do anything else. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I assume we're all in the same boat on yeah. this one. Yeah. Um, but it's exciting. I mean, I've, like I said, I've come and visited the festival and gone to films and... Uh, have you been on a jury before? I have, not, not in Cannes. No. Not yeah. in Cannes, but yeah, it'd be fun. That was, that's a fun experience. Yeah, it'd be really fun. It's a lot of work. It is. You, know, a lot. you have, have to you see 
did for Tribeca yeah, yeah. documentaries, well. yeah. which was uh, like, I think the second year of the festival, super interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You watch a lot of films for that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Responsibility. Yeah. 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 Your comments might change a filmmaker's right. life. Yeah. yeah. So it, I, we take it very seriously. It's a big deal, yeah. Yeah. So there's going to be no like big beach parties for you guys this time then? Is it going to be, going to be fairly well behaved? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, fairly, fairly, yeah. Yeah, the beach parties happen after where most of the film yeah. screen while we're actually doing, yeah. you know, promoting um, uh, this film. But yeah. you know, the parties, you know, if we can survive into the night, perhaps there might be a party or two here and there. Yeah. Well, yeah. This film, of course, Asteroid City, Wes Anderson's new film, which is fantastic. I mean, I'm yeah, such a huge Wes fan, and you guys are all brilliant in it. But it, but. This is like not your first time for all of you, right? You've all done at least a couple, a couple of Wes films at this We've, point. Uh, Jeffrey and I have done two. He's yeah. the old pro. Yeah, he's been you're the he's veteran. Five or six hundred yeah. Wes Anderson movies. <laughs> he's the muse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is it always a, a fun experience to come back to be invited back? Just being invited back yeah. is is a huge thing. Yeah. It's a. It is. It is very nice. Yeah, it's working a, my way up the ladder. It's a welcome email. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I've got. You wanted to. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Do you yeah. feel like you're you're part of the troop now? You're part of the, the sort of regular I players. I don't know if I can after two films. If you're if you if you're in that club, but maybe it'd be nice. I mean, we we're actors. We all want to be loved, <laughs> and so you know, if you hug us, then we'll we'll be very kind. It also says, you know, you did okay on the last one. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> which, that's is, which is always you know, nice. You didn't mess it up. Come on back. But I think yeah. it's not just it's yeah. not just performance though. Yeah. I think absolutely there there if if an actor is irritable or not mm -hmm. in the in the, the spirit of spirit of the group, you're you're, sure. I don't think so. I, don't. I think if someone complains about you know what time they have to get up, or, or how much? Uh, la, 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 then um, I, I don't. I think that might be the end of that. Yeah. You know, because what we do, and what what Wes sets up, is such a. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, situation for actors and and other artists, um, uh, art direction or whatever casting or, and and they they are all invited to this location, and every night. We have a, a very familial dinner together yes, on an yeah. extremely long rectangular table. And we all share stories of the day or of our lives and 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 we get to know each other. So it's it's not just the experience of acting on the set, it is also the experience around the experience. Right. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because you hear stories about these these famous Wes Anderson dinners. Yeah. And it's such a lovely idea. It's wonderful. I mean, what, what, yeah, what, what do you actually talk about? What, what kind of, what comes out of those, those gatherings? Oh, see, he wants the inside scoop. <laughs> one of the, one of the nice things is that we don't have to worry about saying something that may be misconstrued or something, because yeah. in that environment, it's only our team. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was saying one, you know, I heard that, that Tom Hanks said, that he was nervous going into a, a couple of, and I go, oh my God, thanks, yeah. yes. Yeah. I'm glad I heard that, because I am too, and uh, me too, you are, yes. And yeah. you realize, it doesn't matter how much you've worked over the years, 
is that we're still human yeah. and there are still yeah. you're still dealing with human emotions that come up and you have to deal with them but yeah. to to for west to create an, an an atmosphere that allows that kind of sharing and conviviality uh it is it it makes the experience far greater and more uh, rewarding yeah. yeah we had some interesting post dinner evenings mm-hmm. uh, yeah you know Great set of musicians, you know, working on on uh, this oh, film. Right. Yeah, you've got Jarvis Cocker. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. The somewhat infamous Jarvis. Yeah, Cocker, right? From there was a moment uh, with Michael Jackson, right? Wasn't there? Oh yes, yeah, yeah. the Brit Awards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, yeah. he, he like flashes his yeah. his, his butt at him. Yeah, I hadn't realized that until I didn't until after. Hear that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, really. Yeah, he comes up with yeah, it's a big, it was a, a big. Uh, Big row. Yeah, the, yeah. I think he may, may even got arrested for I it or think something. it was yeah. some kind of trial or yeah. something or hearing or something. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, but we'd gather, you know, after dinner and just, uh, you know, there'd be some concerts, you know, and we'd all kind of, oh, you wow. know, we all sit around singing. Rita Wilson can, can blow. Shake it. Who knew? She's got some, she's got albums. She's, oh, right? yeah. She's like a yeah. she's recording artist. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And, and, That's amazing. And, and it was all, you know, it's all, it builds, you know, community and, and camaraderie and trust. Yeah. It's also super efficient, you know, because we're, we're, we're basically all living together. Hair and makeup is downstairs. The editor's working, you know, somewhere over there. And you never leave work, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So Wes, uh, he's, it, 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 it serves two purposes, you know. Because I tell you, he's very ambitious. So he doesn't have a lot of, you don't want to waste a lot of time. Yeah. Filmmaking is one of the most inefficient, you know, uh, means of storytelling. You know, you shoot it uh, all day and you get, you know, maybe, I don't know, what, 10 minutes of film, five, maybe three. So he wants, you know, he wants to use all the time, you know, as, as, as well as he can. So it, 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 it creates, you know, this union, but it also, you know, it keeps you, keeps you uh, engaged and keeps you focused. Yeah. 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 Who who does the cooking for this big dinner? Does Wes just do a big Adrian, casserole or something? You know, like, I, I'm usually back there. Are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your needs. What's your speciality? What's your everything? Um, spam everything. You know, like a spam. <laughs> spam <laughs> spam, yeah. spam was at the last part. Well, we were we were in Spain, so so we had the, we're in Spain. Come on, Spain. <laughs> <laughs> we had the, we had spam in Spain. Uh, spam Iberico, which was really <laughs> delicious. Uh, good stuff. No, yeah. we had some good ham over there. Though. Yeah, oh, man. yeah. We it, it's it's very well catered. It's a very yeah, well but... catered circus. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, that sounds great. Yeah. And then when it comes to being on screen, I mean, obviously, Wes is famous for being very meticulous. Does does that extend to your work? Do you have to be rigorous in your yeah, approach? That's absolutely, mm-hmm. what happens. Yeah. yeah, you have. To, I think there's an expectation that we all show up extremely well prepared yeah. and. Uh, you know, Wes uses uh, animatics as well. So he has these moving storyboards that are very informative. And, yeah. um, <clears throat> I hope they're he a great guy. I, I, I think he has. Public. I think I, I believe some of them have been. I, I keep telling him to as well. Yeah. yeah, I think they're fantastic. Yeah, yeah, they're really fantastic. They're wonderful. They're and he wonderful voices every character of art in and of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. They're not just yeah. They're because they incorporate. Um, even though they're drawings, they 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 have the 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 shots and the lighting cues and the wow. dolly moves, et cetera, that are so you you understand so much going into it um, to be prepared 
for it for delivering something that is pretty uh intricate you know and jeffrey's uh task on this film was enormous i mean it is is really no small feat to to do what what he did and, and i i keep saying his praises all day and i mean it it's just to be able to own that amount of material is very much like a, a moment in a play but it is it is more difficult because you 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 can carry on in a play right if yeah. you veer slightly or have a momentary or 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 go with an emotional pull that mm -hmm. that leads you down something else in in this specifically you have such a responsibility to um to deliver something so so um tightly mm -hmm. that um as soon as you feel that you're not on that track you can lose your track right and so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy so you have to be so laser focused because mm -hmm. there's no time for thought yeah mm -hmm. uh, well i thank you i you know it, it it took me a while to get there this this can take someone yeah yeah enough. yeah and we did it the, doesn't the, matter i showed up <laughs> i showed up and west said um, you know, I got off the plane, I practically got off the plane. Mm -hmm. He said, yeah, we, well, we're going to do the speech tomorrow. I said, but do what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> can I, can I wow. have, you know, some dinner first? <laughs> and so we did it. And, and I kind of said, well, I said, Wes, this is going to be kind of a rehearsal. He goes, no, no. So we did it. We did it. We kind of got it. And I, and he said, no, 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 it's good. I said, well, no, I think it was kind of, eh. He goes, no, 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 no. Well, three days later, he says, Terry, I think we're going to do it again. We'll do it again. <laughs> like, so we did it again a couple of days later, yeah. and, uh, and, uh, and it worked. It worked. He says, you know, it was the first take, but it was the first take of the second day that, you know, it took me a little bit to get there. Yeah. But, yeah. How, how do you prepare for it? Yeah. <laughs> You're a hero. Yeah. Yeah. You are. Uh, how, how do you prepare for roles like this, though? Beyond like the, the line reading, do you, do you go into, like, I mean, Brian, I wonder if, you, you know, you turn to uh, old 50s broadcasts for your character, right? Yeah, I, I think I, didn't I don't want to be Brian Cranston. I want to find a character. And so yeah. I'm doing, doing some research in those 50s um, American um, newscasters. And uh, I kept gravitating towards one in particular, Ted Koppel. And I didn't intend to. I was exploring with a bunch of different ones. And he just kept coming back to me. So then I just, at one point, I just gave into it and leaned into that, gave me little anchors, yeah. little, some, some ballast, some weight to it that, that was helpful and grounding and then you get into you you understand the musicality of of the rhythms of his speech as he writes them yeah. he was talking about the the animatic which he which wes anderson calls his cartoon <laughs> and in this cartoon he voices all the characters oh, wow in the entire movie every wow. single character in the movie this. he voices them so every actor watches that and you get a sense, oh, 
That's how he sees my character speaking. Yeah. Yeah. That's the rhythm he wants. That's the speed he wants. There's the emphasis on certain words that he wants. Yeah. And you start to, to see, oh, that actually is very helpful to get that sensibility going. Yeah. Well, I think one of my favorite expressions of his on set is, what, what let, let's look at the cartoon. As I think about it, as we talk about it, I don't think that he's able to achieve what he does ultimately on camera without having made the choices prior and having this reference for it. He's done it already, you know, in two dimensions. Otherwise, it's so specific, so detailed. There's no way to convey all of that in a conversation. Exactly. exactly. And also to the camera department and the grips, et cetera, because that is so there. It's so alive, the 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 visual aspects of his film, especially in these fast moving masters. He does it in a digital way that Alfred Hitchcock did it in a, a, a analog way mm-hmm. when he did, he would do storyboards and have pictures and have the boards up there, psycho or whatever, and he'd cross them out when he got that shot, this mm-hmm. angle, that angle, this. And so he would do his entire movie on a storyboard. Well, I mean, you know, the results are there. Like, it's, it looks amazing. And um, you guys are great in it. So I hope to see you in another Wes Anderson film soon. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Guys, that's my time. Thank you Thanks so much. Thank, Thank you, man. Thanks. Thanks for your time. Okay, so that was Brian Cranston, Jeffrey Wright, and Adrian Brody. What a hat trick, folks. And that's getting into the reviews part of the show, only four days into the record. Uh, let's... <laughs> Start with Asteroid City. It is the biggest film out this week, but is it the best film, Amon Warman? No. Let's move on now to No Hard Feelings, <laughs> in which Jennifer Lawrence returns. Uh, okay, back you want it up. More? I, you want more? <sighs> okay. Um, take me down to the Asteroid City. Um, yes. Stars Jason Schwartzman as photographer. Augie Steenbeck, he and his children make a stop in Asteroid City to repair his car. And while they are there, uh, they encounter some unusual characters. I should probably preface this by saying that I've never really been a Wes Anderson guy. It's weird because you dress like you're in one of his films. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that as a compliment. Because that is one of the few things in this film that I did like. The costuming is great. The... Uh, color palettes are very vivid. You know, all those typical things you'd expect from a Wes Anderson film in terms of visuals are very much there, present and accounted for. For me, the story was just very confounding and alienating. There's a love story between Jason Schwartzman's character and Scarlett Johansson's character, which is the beating heart of the film. And I did sort of get hints of that and I did fall in love with that to a degree, but there's so much else going on in this film, I wasn't allowed to really fully settle into a storyline. There's a Russian nesting doll narrative at play here. There's a lot of layers. And the longer the film goes on, the more tricky it is to sort of follow which character is playing what at which time. And therefore, the story arcs of a Scarlett Johansson, of a Jason Schwartzman, you don't really get to fully appreciate that because there's just so many layers of artifice Mm -hmm. to sift through. So that was really the thing for me. And one of the reasons that I've never really been a Wes Anderson guy, he's 
dialogue is very, very stilted. It's very, it's delivered very monotonously. I know for hardcore uh, Wes Anderson fans, that is sort of something which they like about it. In talking to some of those Wes Anderson fans, it's been really interesting. They've, some of them have said that this feels like a, almost a parody of a Wes Anderson film. There's actually a lot of that going around right now if you look at what's happening on TikTok, which is <laughs> very interesting and amusing to a degree. But yeah, I would say this is one for hardcore Wes Anderson fans only. And even then, some of them are saying what they're saying. And me not being a hardcore Wes Anderson guy or even a softcore Wes Anderson guy, um, this was a bit uh, of a frustrating watch for me. Hardcore Wes Anderson is an interesting concept. <laughs> it has to be said. Um, yeah, I, I, I go back and forth. I think he is... I'm very, very glad that he's making films. And yes, the obvious joke is Wes Anderson's made his film again. And hmm. oh boy, is that true. Hmm. Um, but, you know, John Newton even pointed out in his review of the film uh, in, in Empire. You know, it's a very, very easy jibe. He is a unique filmmaker. He is a completely idiosyncratic filmmaker. There is nobody else like him, which is wild because he's been around now for 25 years, mm -hmm. something like that, as a filmmaker. Oh. And there is still no one else who is, despite all your TikTokers, uh, it can get close to replicating his eye or his feel for dialogue. I, I love his feel for dialogue. I love the way he has these incredible actors rattling off dialogue at you know his girl Friday speeds. It's it's wonderful to watch, and the 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 performances in this are great. The cast, Amon, I think we we somewhat buried the lead. You've mentioned we obviously had our three guests: mm -hmm. Brian Cranston, Adrian Brody, Jeffrey Wright. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned Jason Schwartzman. Playing a dad some 24 years after Rushmore, which yeah. makes is, that may be the oldest as anything's ever made me feel, <laughs> by the way. Um, mm. But Scarlett Johansson, obviously, as well. But you have not mentioned <laughs> Deep Breath, <laughs> Steve Carell, Tom Hanks, mm. Maya Hawk, Rupert Friend, Matt Dillon in a role where he shows up for like three scenes. It's, it's wild. Margot Robbie. Um, who else? Jeff Goldblum. It's Ed just Norton. Ed Norton, yeah. Liev Schreiber. It's just Hope Davis. It's an incredible it's, embarrassment of riches. It's an incredible cast. How many of them are actually saying something that's really, really interesting, though? I would say all of them are saying something that's really, really interesting. But I had a very, very interesting relationship, he said, interestingly, with this movie, <laughs> in that there were times I just felt that it was ultra Wes, it was ultra arch, it was ultra ironic and it kept you at arm's length more than something like The French Dispatch which I thought was a wonderful film or The Grand Budapest Hotel or his best film The Royal Tenenbaums uh, did he you know he, he manages to somehow find emotion and human connection in amongst all this very very meticulous art directed within an inch of its life mise en scène if you will I'm not sure that I like you. I'm not sure that he found an emotional core of this movie. It's very, very clever, clever. It's funny at times, but there were there were a lot of times when I just thought, I'm not sure I'm I'm yeah. I'm jiving with this yeah. at all. I did want to see it a second time before doing this pod. Um, again, I'd spoken to a few people who've watched this, and they said they got along with it much better on a second watch. So I'm intrigued to see what I might find. Uh, but. Just on first watch, it, again, arm's length is right. I felt alienated for much of uh, the runtime of this, even though the cast is great. Uh, lots of A-listers doing their thing. It just it was, a, it was a struggle for me. Yeah. But yeah, 
I, I did find myself warming to it as it went on. Mm. And uh, there's there's a, there's a very, very bold swing plot-wise about halfway through. In fact, there's a very bold swing um, conceptually quite early on, which I don't want to spoil for people. Uh, we've, we've hinted at it, yeah. but yeah. I will say that it is intermittently funny as well. It I is. Did, I did. I did laugh quite a few times. Stick but. that in your poster. In, intermittently funny. A one woman empire podcast. Yes, at last. At last. Fame at My last. To shame. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we gave us one four stars. John Nugent, who is a big Wes head, a big Andersonian. Uh, he loved it, and he has given us four stars. I'm not in the four star camp, but I'm. I am. I'm probably in the three star camp. Amon, you sounds like you're in the two. You're in. You're. You moved into the the two Let's area. Let's bring of town. half stars back. Two and a half. We're, we're, then we have to round up we have to round up so three stars uh, Amon loves this film Amon loves this film uh, we gave four stars to this one four stars for Asteroid City uh, Jimbo hello Christopher hello <laughs> welcome back to the podcast I stopped, just, I stopped listening the second you mentioned Wes Anderson and I, I went away to my own oh, personal Asteroid come City come on really no, no I, I have no patience for whimsy or symmetry quite frankly or pastels so really I was I was out from the beginning you're not a Rushmore fan? No, actually. Tenenbaums is the only one of his films I genuinely like. I appreciate them. Like, and they're genius. And I think he's got an incredible eye, as you say. But I, I, he's I, got two incredible he's eyes. He's got two incredible eyes. <laughs> symmetrically. His ears. Uh, his ears are fucking incredible. But, but it, they, they leave me cold. They just leave me cold. Yeah. Sorry. This is embarrassing because he's outside. And he's Wes! about to go, Wes, I loved you in Wall Street. Um, yeah. It's a shame. It's a shame. Four stars then for... <laughs> I'm on going, this film's shit. James goes, I hate Wes Anderson. Four stars then for Asteroid City. Jimbo, you went to see a film this week. I did. How are you? Did you... <laughs> it was very exciting. <laughs> did you have to have someone talk you through the process? Well, I, genuinely. So I actually, I, I saw the film we are speaking of as a punter. Oh yes, yeah. I went to a public you screening paid. with <laughs> the plebs. You, I, I also paid with the plebs to yeah. see Asteroid City. I did, yeah. yeah, where the grass is green and the aliens are pretty. Right. Oh, won't you please take me home? I'm on. I'm on. When that song came out, you wouldn't have been even a glimmer in anyone's <laughs> eyes. So do not sing that to me. A hands glimmer. A hands glimmer, indeed. Uh, yes, I went to see No Hard Feelings, and I have no hard feelings about seeing No Hard Feelings, which is obviously uh, a good thing. It is good so, What's it about? What's happening? Well, it's funny you should ask, Chris. So this is a film that I saw in the cinema, <laughs> which is directed by Gene Stablitsky. Yes. And uh, I saw the trailer for this a while back and was slightly wrong-footed by it for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. One, because Jennifer Lawrence, who... It's always interested me that she's never really embraced comedy as a genre because she's fucking hilarious. Like she you is. see her on a chat show, you see her on any interview, she is properly funny. Properly she's, funny. She falls down every five minutes, she does slapstick in unintentionally, but she's genuinely very funny. Like she's clearly got comedy chops. Very sharp. And yet she's been a very dramatic actor. And so you think, oh great, she's doing a comedy. Then I saw the trailer for No Hard Feelings which I thought looked supernaturally terrible. Like, but genuinely, I was like, oh my God, is this the end of Jennifer Lawrence's career? Like, genuinely, wow. I thought it looks awful, it looks pure, it looks regressive in that kind of late 90s, early noughties sort of bawdy sex comedy kind of way. I was waiting for Stifless Mum to kind of walk past in the background, like, you know, all that stuff. And I just thought, oh my God. So when I went to see this, to say I had some trepidation would be 
an understatement. You were trying desperately to buy a ticket for something else. <laughs> One ticket yes. for anything else, anything please. Else. Have you got a Wes Anderson film? Anything, really. Uh, <laughs> but it's not what it appears to be while also being exactly what it appears to be. So mm, this like a scroll. is like a scroll. It's much like a scroll. So Jennifer Lawrence plays Maddie. She's an Uber driver whose car has been towed. And if you know anything about Uber as a business model, that's kind of a problem. So she needs money. She needs to save her house. She's about to lose her home due to gentrification. Lots of rich holidaying people are buying up the properties in her neighbourhood, until she is, shall we say, propositioned by some parents uh, with an indecent proposal. They would like to pay her, in the time-honoured fashion of a Buick Regal, to deflower their slightly introverted, socially awkward son, Percy, played here by Andrew Feldman. And she, frankly... Who, who is 19, we should, we should say. He is 19, but yes. his, his mind He's only 19, but his mind is older. Indeed. Well, no, see, the opposite is true. He's 19, but it's actually his mind is very much younger. Like, he feels like very a very immature 19-year-old in that he hasn't come out of his shell, he doesn't socialise, he doesn't speak to girls, he's super, super awkward. She agrees, because frankly she wants the car, and so you have this slightly awkward scenario where she is befriending this boy, pretending that she's meeting him organically, uh, in a kind of true romance type fashion, and while also trying to shag him. So it's, it's an icky premise. It's a very icky premise. And I feel like in another pair of hands, this would have gone exactly the way you think it would go. But I think uh, Stemnitsky and John Phillips, who co-writes the screenplay for this, put a lot more emotional maturity into this than you would have thought, certainly than you would give it credit for. Like, there's a real sense of Percy as a person, someone whose two helicopter parents have kind of meant that he hasn't fully developed. He's never really been given the opportunity to to go out and be his own person. He's terrified of absolutely everything. Meanwhile, Maddie's an interesting character that she's losing, as I say, losing her home to gentrification. She's still trying to find her niche in the world. She has sort of, shall we say, uh, familial traumas of her own to deal with. And what this becomes, it's not a sex comedy. It's not even a sex is about an unlikely friendship that develops between these two characters and it's surprisingly touching and surprisingly genuine while also being really funny and yes there are I would say first base comedy scenarios there's a frat party at one point uh, I love the fact that bearing in mind that Jennifer Lodge is 32 uh, and <laughs> and they're, they're playing the kind of the massive uh, generational divide between millennials and Gen Zers, which as someone who is older than both of those just makes me very 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 uncombined <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel very, very old indeed. But that bit's properly funny. There is a genius sequence on a beach where she fights a bunch of people while absolute buck-ass naked. Um, it's really funny. And I thought, actually surprisingly charming. And at the end of it, I was like, wow, this kind of got me in the feels. I Actually, I'm their friendship felt tangible. It felt real. Uh, while also being funny, and I'm not going to say profound. Let's not fucking push the boat out too far. But but it works. It has an emotional maturity and emotional honesty that, that registered with me. So while this looks, as I said, supernaturally bad, it is neither of those it's things. It's supernaturally It is neither good. supernatural, <laughs> nor is it bad. We gave this three stars. Sophie Butcher wrote an excellent review of this, which you can read now on the Empire website. But uh, yeah, do you know what? go and see this and if you like me have to do the unthinkable and pay to go to the cinema to do it <laughs> it won't kill you to do so yes you will have no hard feelings about this just don't go buck ass naked I mean you can but it's frowned upon you can. I found that out to my, to my cost Amon did you have hard feelings I did not have hard feelings about this film uh, I second pretty much everything uh, James just said I had a really good time with it I thought Jennifer Lawrence was fantastic I don't think Actually, as I say that, that is quite as funny as you make it out to be, James. In part because, as Sophie points out in a very good review, a lot of the gags were in the trailers. 
Uh, this but film. is that that's not really a, like a, a that's not that's not sort of a criticism of the film, is it? That's just well, a criticism of their marketing campaign yeah, but that like, they've taken loads of the gags and front loaded them. Yeah, it meant that I didn't sort of like full on, you know, belly laugh during this. I you know, had you know, good chuckles, but it wasn't like a full on belly laugh at any point. But the emotional maturity, as you mentioned, was really really great. I actually think this film is a lot better when it's not trying to uh, go joke heavy, um, and yeah, Jennifer Lawrence, it's really cool to see her in this type of role. I hope she takes on more comedies because she definitely has the right spirit for it. And I thought she was great in this film. It's interesting because I, I saw it. I was at the same screen you were at, Amon. Mm. And uh, it was it was interesting because it was one of those experiences. I was laughing fairly consistently all the way through mm. and I felt so judged. <laughs> <laughs> I felt, I felt, I could be, just feel people glaring at me going, oh yeah, there he is. Mr. Lowest Common Denominator. Mr. Chief Drink the Marvel Ooze. Oh, you like the silly sex comedy, do you, stupidissimo? Um, but, you know, eh, well, what, what the hell? What the hell? Um, you can just feel the, the moral panic in the room, <laughs> to be quite frank. Um, but the movie knows that. It knows that it's towing the, it's, it's, it's towing the edge of a very, very risky line. Um, it's basically a, a reverse risky business, except with uh, without a real element of danger. It doesn't have a <laughs> Guido the Killer Pimp or anything like that. That self-awareness is important, though. It is important because they... it knows that it's getting into these areas and it, it, can, it can actually navigate them fairly, fairly well, I would say. Yeah, 100%. Like, you mentioned the age gap, which yes. could be icky, but they refer to that and actually have storytelling to that at multiple times yeah. in the film. My disappointment with it, despite laughing all the way through, Gene Stupnitsky is, along with Lee Eisenberg, who didn't co-write this, but they, uh, they co-wrote some of the best episodes of the American version of The Office. And they're very, very funny dudes. And Gene Stupnitsky is a very, very funny dude. And there were times I was watching this going, this is a funny scene, but it could be funnier if it just pushed it a little bit more. I'm not saying push the raunch or push the the awkwardness of the situation, but maybe just a couple of extra drafts, maybe just, you know, punch up the jokes a little bit more and you could have really had an all-timer of a, of a sequence. Mm. Uh, but it is, you know, that, that beach scene, honestly, <laughs> oh that gosh. I... Was, <laughs> I did not expect that. No, I don't think anyone's <laughs> expecting that. Um, but it's still, it's a fairly bold scene, but I, I wondered if the rest of the film had been like that and had that sort of boldness, then maybe it might have been, it might have been an all-timer of a kind of, uh, kind of a teen sex comedy type thing. But, uh, but as it is, three stars, that ain't no bad shakes at all. So three stars then for no hard feelings. Uh, are there any hard feelings, James, for Nimona? None on Netflix. whatsoever. Nimona, which lands on Netflix. Now, this is based on N.D. Stevenson's graphic novel. And this is a film that, frankly, you are very fucking lucky to be able to watch. So this was a blue sky animation, which was acquired by Disney when they picked up Fox uh, and mothballed. Absolutely. So this very nearly didn't come to fruition at all until Annapurna stepped in and, and, and you know, essentially finished the film. Uh, and I'm really pleased they did because I absolutely loved Nimona, my Nimona. I'm not going to start singing it to you, Amon, sorry. Um, <laughs> but it's really, really lovely. So this is about uh, a knight, a knight called uh, Ballister. 
uh, uh, played by Riz Ahmed. He's voiced by Riz Ahmed. Uh, and he's about to be accepted into this kind of like fighting force, this sort of group of knights who defend the kingdom uh, when he is, uh, shall we say, something goes awry, someone dies, he's cast out uh, and is forced to go on the run. Now, he then meets up with the titular Nimona, who's voiced by Chloe Grace Moretz. And she is a shapeshifter. Uh, she's kind of an outcast. She's like a villain, a would-be villain. And she's decided he's going to be a great villain and she's going to be his sidekick whether he wants it or not. Uh, she's a bit punk. She's a bit rebel. She says metal or not and makes a sign of the devil. Uh, and she's an incredible amount of fun to be with. Uh, and that's part of why this film is so good because you absolutely buy the friendship between Ballister and Nimona. She's a fantastic foil to everything he does. And this is, it's like a subversive take. You can kind of understand weirdly why Disney didn't want to make it, but it's a very subversive look at classic Disney fairy tales. So the world is, it's a high fantasy uh, world, but in the future. So there are cars, there's technology. So it, it starts in a high fantasy setting and then it flashes forward. I think it's like a thousand years ago until they have this high-tech society. And it's looking at inclusion. It's looking at how people are judged. It's looking at people being comfortable in their own skin. Uh, and it's looking at how hate is taught and it isn't innate to people. Uh, it's really interesting, but it doesn't... So yeah, so there's a lot of social commentary in here, but it's not one note. So, you know, you, you could see it as a parable for coming out and being your authentic self. You could see it as a parable for accepting people for who they are. You could see it as a parable for, you know, the the othering of different groups for whatever reason. And all this stuff is in there and none of it is rammed down your throat and it feels really authentic and organic to the story. Uh, in addition, like the main character, Ballister, is gay, but it's not really a plot point. It's, it's just there. But more than anything else, it's funny, it's fun, it's visually inventive, it's this kind of 2D, 3D style of animation. Uh, lots of great ideas in there. The gags really land. Uh, Nimona's at the heart of most of them. There is a dancing shark, and frankly, all films can be improved by the presence of a dancing shark. Uh, but I loved this film. I genuinely loved it. I thought it was heartwarming. I thought it was affecting. It brought a tear to my eye in places. Um, yeah, it's an absolute joy. And I think it's one of these things where, you know, kids will love it. I think adults will love it. It's got a little bit of something for everyone. So uh, I'm very, mm. very pleased that Annapurna stepped in and saved this from, frankly, dying. Yes. Um, because it's a film everyone should see if they get the chance. Yeah, it's really good. Just James Dyer liking animated films. I know, yeah, what happened? It's, it's, it's a smile on it's my face. It's wild. And you know what? Again, this is, I, this is the second film this week. I went into this going, oh, fuck me. I've got to watch this now as well. I didn't really want to watch it at all. And I was... To say pleasantly surprised would be an understatement. I could not. I could, like, I had to. I had to stop watching it to come in for my commute so, before I could watch the rest. And I was, frankly, nearly late for the train because I was. I don't want to turn it off. Walking into the lamppost. Yeah, I was, I was, <laughs> this is great. I'm loving it. Absolutely loving it. Yeah, it's really good. So yeah, my yeah. Nimona. Mm-hmm. I echo that. It's on Netflix. Four stars. Four stars then for Nimona. And I think that's it. I think that's it. Tight, tight 80. Yes. That was a that was a tight record. No no flab on that podcast at all. What the fuck am I doing? Honestly. I've got to edit this tonight. Oh. Um, one more thing to talk about before we wrap this bad boy up is that we are doing a live show. We are going back into the live arena. We are, well, yes, indeed. Uh, September 9th, 9-9, September 9th, uh, we are going to be at King's Place London, our spiritual home, as part of the London Podcast Festival. I think it's 7.30, 7 o'clock, 7.30, something like that, on Saturday the 9th of September. Yes. Uh, tickets are on sale right now. 
And I think as usual, if we do, if we sell enough tickets or we sell out, which would be very, very lovely, then we will open up streaming as a possibility. As ever with our London Podcast Festival podcasts, this is a one-off bespoke podcast. It will not be available as a podcast afterwards. So if you want to watch it, you either got to be there or um, be square, it. Or be square. But if yeah. you don't, it will be on Disney Plus within four weeks. It will be, <laughs> yes. With an AI opening sequence That's as right. well. That's right. Will there be cake at the live show, Chris? Uh, no, James. Because not you know be. where there will be cake, don't you? At the Pilot 250th podcast, which is taking place in August, we are having a Pilot TV bake-off. This is absolutely true. I might need your help. When is it? (laughs) It's on the 19th of August. The 19th of August. So you should absolutely Ah. buy tickets for both of those things. No, you are not busy. You will be there. Because I need... So we even have... We have a professional baker judging the cakes. I'm not even joking. We are actually doing this bake-off thing. Do you have a candlestick maker and a a butcher as well? And a baker, yes. Yes. One of those things. Uh, let me see, 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 let me see. I love that we're live coordinating your diary. Uh, no, I am back. Yes! I am back. You'll be there! I didn't say that, but I will be I will be back. You'll be there. Um, so I'll save I'll your seat in the front row. Yeah. yeah, all right. So that's exciting. You will, so, you will taste test all of the baked goods. I will, I will. But I cannot stress this enough. If you come and see a live show, buy tickets for the Empire podcast live show first. Without, and then, ca- without cake. Without cake. Without cake. Without cake. Uh, but with the AI opening sequence, <laughs> and one of us will be AI on the day as well. Frankie will be phoning it in. Uh, <laughs> and then buy tickets for Pilot 250. Yeah. People said they wouldn't reach 250. <laughs> they were wrong. They were very yeah. lamentably wrong. Yeah. But but there we are. They're still 250. Getting over <laughs> and then after that, after you spent all your money on those two shows. <laughs> Buy tickets to see Taylor Swift yes! <laughs> play Anfield, Liverpool Football Club's beloved stadium, yeah. Anfield. This is how you're getting me to Anfield, isn't this it? This is how I'm getting you to Anfield. <laughs> you, would you be surprised to hear that I have literally registered for the Liverpool Taylor Swift gig? Dude, that's... <laughs> <laughs> this is actually a thing that I have done. Is she playing Wembley as well? I have registered for Wembley, Liverpool and Edinburgh. Wow. I'm going to go to one of them. <laughs> I will be there. By hook or by crook. <laughs> Absolutely going to happen. 51 yards away from her at all times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. anyway, I'm sure this podcast was supposed to end at least four hours ago. So, <laughs> Can we end this podcast? Can we really end this podcast? No, it's life. When they give you life, that's exactly what they take. Should we end this podcast? Though? Because here's, here's my dilemma. Here's my dilemma. If I end this podcast, at some point I'm going to have to start editing this podcast. Whereas if we just keep recording, never have just to edit keep going. It. Yeah. Keep on going. Macquarie like will come Thelma in at some Louise, point. We just we'll, keep on going. We'll just turn this into a mission supporter special at some point. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. We'll play for time. I accept. Yeah. All right. Okay. So let's just bring this podcast to an end, shall we? Um, put everyone out of their misery. Tight 80. Tight 80. <laughs> Why do I do this to myself? This is self-hatred. This is being played out in front of you on a grand scale. Uh, join us next week for more film related fun, I guess. When we'll be joined by... I don't even... What's out next week? I'm on... What's out? I, is Indy next week? Indy's next week. Is Indy next week? Yes. Yeah. We have our Empire VIP Club event next week, which is very, very exciting. Uh, and uh, we will have some special guests from that film. 
popping along to a London venue. Hopefully we'll be at the same place. <laughs> and um, then hopefully they're not digging in the wrong place. That would be embarrassing. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, they'll be on next week's podcast. Those those people whose names I cannot reveal. Not John Williams, sadly. Not, not the goat. They won't <laughs> quarantine. <laughs> they wouldn't let him in. Sorry, mate. Can't bring a goat over here. This is Oscar winning composer. You fucking idiots. The most nominated person in Oscar history. John Williams. End the podcast immediately <laughs> before one of us dies. What are you doing this weekend? Oh my God. <laughs> I'll be at the London Action Festival. So will I. So will I. Yeah. My sealer. Maybe. <laughs> when's when's Taylor going to sell, James? They haven't said. You've okay. registered for tickets now and then, then they will be available at some point. I don't know quite how it works. One does not normally go to the live music gigs. <laughs> One does not simply walk into Anfield. <laughs> we'll also be joined by someone else. Um, I think maybe the stars of Elemental. I don't know. Who's keeping track? Not me, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm going to murder you. I'm actually going to murder you. <laughs> until then, until we meet again, until a occasion, it is goodbye from my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. James Dyer. I mean, I, I want to just leave at this point, but I can't leave without saying, do you know what? You I would can't tell you, leave. You, can't, you, can, you can never leave. Uh, Where's I, the thing about it? No, right? Ben, Ben, uh, shush. Uh, ben, yeah. uh, I was going to tell you what guest is going to build a Pilot TV podcast this week, but I don't know. Will it be Anson Mount, who I spoke to this morning for Star Trek Strange New Worlds? Will it be Wendell Pierce that Amon is speaking to tomorrow for Jack Ryan? It could be either, both, or none of those, uh, because frankly, I'm quite disorganized. But there will be someone on the Pilot TV podcast. And a lot of people, I should say this, a lot of people in the reviews for the Pilot TV podcast have said, I really like this podcast. I only listen to it because James wouldn't shut the fuck up about it on the Empire podcast. So whatever I'm doing seems to be working. So if I'm going to push any of the rest of you over the edge, please, please take the plunge. Can I, can I ask if you mention the Empire podcast on I do, Pilot? regularly. Okay. Yes. I mean, I, I know that, obviously, because I, I listen to it religiously. I, I'm a consumer of you all are. kinds of media. Yes, you're a big Pilot fan. In that way, I find myself very much like a Tom Wamsgams. Uh, don't you feel? I've come, I'm plugged in. Yes, I'm you plugged are. into all kinds of different media. Yeah, I'm going to shiv you if you don't end this fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, that is it. It's goodbye from Amon Warman. That was interesting. <laughs> Peace. It's like an Amon Warman soundboard in here. It's, it's, it's quite incredible. Does anyone else think it's irony? Ironic? Ironic. Martin Scorsese. Ironic. That's Amon Warman says peace when he leaves. I do think it's ironic. You should be Amon like, Peace Man. It's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a fuck. That's not a knife. Let's make peace, not war. Man. Yeah. Anyway, it's goodbye from me as well. I'm off to try and gasump James for Taylor Swift tickets. I can't wait to see his face when I when I see I Tay Tay at Anfield. I, I knew you were trouble when you walked in. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> I understood that effort. I'm seeing red. <laughs> I understood I really that effort too. I really yeah. Didn't. yeah. Oh well. Listen. Uh, thanks for listening. See you next week. And in the immortal words of Logan Roy, fuck off. <laughs>